And let's stand to our feet for a second. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for everybody that's here tonight, Father, to partake of your word, your wisdom, your spirit, your life, your yes and your no. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, that we can learn about your love tonight. Pick up where you left us last week. And so, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can be seated. How many was here by show of hands last week? If you wasn't here, get the tape. Uh, do, they even, do we even have tape anymore? That's in the same department as the checks. Uh get the 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 uh go to vertical encounter dot church and is that should be uploaded or it's there how many are thankful for the media department here they're they're on it really every week every week a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes that a lot of you don't have the opportunity to always um know about but we have some hard working staff here um, from, I mean, all the way from the media to the musicians to the pastors. I mean, they're always counseling, calling, checking on you. How many have gotten them random phone calls at the weirdest times? Just somebody from Vertical Encounter making sure you're all right. Uh-huh. So we, um, we do the best that we can to serve the body of Christ here. So uh, I just want to just say publicly as the head pastor, I appreciate all of you who make up what we do. And uh, so thank you to the media, the pastors, the leaders, the staff, everybody who's working, all the musicians, uh, everybody that's that's doing um, their best to fulfill the heart of a servant here in the house. So we thank you. Can we just give them a hand? Amen. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off. If you was not here last week, I'm going to do a quick recap because I got a lot to get to tonight. And um, we're going to pick right up. If you was not here last week, just put your seatbelt on. Uh, we're dealing with the power of love, the transforming power of love, a supernatural ways of love, whatever you want to put on it. Um, there's just it's a very very deep topic as as uh, we dove into it last week. And so I'm going to do some uh, just a small recap here, but I want you to put this down if you're taking notes. Those of you that missed it last week, just grab your pen or paper. Or, Android or iPhone or whatever it is that you you put notes down. Love that has to be earned is not love. I want you to remember that. Love that has to be earned is not love. Can you say that with me? Love that has to be earned is not love. All right? Number one. Everybody say this. Love comprehends. Last week we talked about Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Just real quick, if we could swing there, I'm going to kind of be all over the place tonight, uh, Tank. And shout out to the men last night, We uh, the men fellowship. We went to Novi into the escape room, and uh, I contributed nothing. I had no idea what was going on in that demonic Harry Potter world of witchcraft. Um you know, I, I don't know how in the world. Like Eric was really, really good at that game last night. I don't know if it's because he's dabbing in something he's not supposed to be dabbing in. Um, but he was finding all kinds of demonic clues all over the escape room. Um, and, and I was just sitting over there with the Holy Ghost figuring out what I'm doing here. So uh, it was really, really good to get with the brothers and try to find all of these different 
Uh, I just didn't get any heads up. I didn't. I, what is an escape room? I was like, I, I had a whole other thing in my head. What this is? I went in there wanting to bring a, a pipe like Sherlock Holmes. I was elementary, my dear Watson. That's where I was. My head was like, I'm going to solve this mystery. And when they started, I, they said, well, we're looking for it. I said, looking for what? We don't know. How can you find what you don't know you're looking for? And there's like, well, we don't know yet. And then a thing came over there. The queen likes D3. And so everybody rushed over to the, the chessboard. And when we put in there, it ain't doing nothing. I'm like, oh, this is this. I paid for this. <laughs> we could have went to the house, ordered pizza, and talked about Jesus. Um, but this was, it was great. We, I think we made it out with, what, a minute left? Five minutes. I know we beat Chantel and her team. Um, they showed up. They did show up last night. So, you know, uh, for all you ladies that get mad when the men interrupt your my sister heart sessions and all that stuff, the next time I am calling every man I know, and we are just coming right in the middle of it. I don't care what you feel about it. We are going to just take over. The spirit of takeover is coming your way very fast. So shout out to the men. Amen. It was good fellowship. Then we went to B-dubs, a few of us, and was just talking about the Lord. And so it's always good to hear from from the individuals that, you know, sometimes we don't get a chance to talk with. I know Brother Aaron and uh, Mitch in the back and uh, Eric, myself, Brother Tank in the back. He's doing a good job with the men. Shout out, Tank. <laughs> doing a real good job back there. Uh, he's a good man. Tank, did I say it right? You're a good man. Is that what I was supposed to say? You don't remember telling me to say that over the pulpit when treasure was next to you? <laughs> Amen. Love you, sir. We're a team, man. We serve one another. All right, so we're going to get into this. I want to swing over to Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19. Are we ready? All right. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. I'm going to just kind of recap for a second, and then we're going to get into some new material. But uh, let's read here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath. Now, most people don't really want to be rooted and grounded in love. We like to use love when it benefits us. But most people don't want to be rooted and grounded in love because you know what the Greek there for rooted and grounded means? simply means anchored. It doesn't matter what you want to do, what direction you want to go. When you're anchored, you are anchored. Most people don't really want to be anchored in love because what happens is, even on a bad day when you want to get out of position, you can't. Because you're anchored. You're permanently anchored. You cannot drift. Uh, I'm a, I love fishing. i got a couple of people here that love fishing. Um, one of the most important things about fishing that uh, that you're going to learn because sometimes you can go to a spot that is just as soon as you cast it's like them fisher I mean they're hitting and you're pulling them out as fast as you can and one of the things that happens a lot of times that if you do not anchor the boat you're going to find yourself getting farther 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 away from the spot or too close to the spot and you're scaring the fish off because the current's going to take you wherever it wants to go. The anchor is important because it keeps your position where it needs to be. No matter what the current is. 
No matter what the wind is telling the water to do, the anchor keeps you in position. Need you to hear that. Many of us do not want to really be anchored in love because that means even on a bad day, God still keeps you in a position to where love is what is dominating your thoughts. Are you hearing me? We, it's cool to love when it doesn't cost us things. But there always comes the moment in our relationship with God and with people to where love is going to ask you to sacrifice for somebody else. And so we, we have to look at that. Let's continue to read here for a sec. That we're rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height. There's another major component that I didn't pull out last week that we may be able to comprehend with all of the saints. If I was to ask any of us in here individually what it is that God is showing in you in your heart, we're going to have about a hundred different views on what God is saying in this particular topic or whatever it is that we want to address. I love how Paul in Ephesians here says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. True vision is corporate vision. We can only see as deep as we are together. It's not about individuality and the sight that comes from the individual. It's about the corporate man seeing together, the fellowship together. The point of last week is that we now being perfected in love... It comes from relationships, one to another, us fellowshipping with one another. How is somebody perfected in love? By valuing the relationships that God puts in your life and not retreating from them just when times get tough. That's how you're perfected in love. That's the difference between somebody who is a mature in Christ and somebody who's immature. Some of you have been in church your entire life and you're still a baby. It's not because you can't preach good, teach good. It's not because your giftings aren't mature. It's because of what you can endure. The difference between a mature saint and somebody who is immature is the weight they can bear. It's never defined by how gifted you are. The church, we, had, we have put people in the pulpits and we've, we've put them on pedestals all because of their gift. And, and we've made them to be somebody that they're really not. Paul talks about in Corinthians 13, and we'll get into it tonight, that he says that you can prophesy, you can have all the faith to move mountains and do all this stuff, but he says if you don't have love, you are nothing. What makes us mature in Christ is the way love impacts us and then ultimately the way we use it to serve one another. Can you say amen? So let's look at here. Let's continue to read here. Last point, and I'm going to get into some new stuff. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled up to all the fullness of God. One of the points we brought up last week, just uh, want to bring this up here. It says, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. If you know anything about the history of the church at Ephesus, and let me just predicate this on a conversation that I had on the airplane um, last, last week or week before when I was coming back from Atlanta. I sat next to a guy who was um, a Christian, supposedly, and he was telling me, you know, he asked me what I do, and we got into a little dialogue. I told him I'm a pastor. What was you doing in Atlanta? I told him I was doing ministry, and he said to me, he said, well, yeah, I just love the Word of God. I love to talk about the Bible, and then he, as, as the flight continued, we got a little deeper in the conversation, and he 
began to tell me that the only thing that he needs to interpret the Bible is the Bible itself. And I said, wow, really? So how do you know, how do you know what's happening historically in the Bible, being that the Bible wasn't written to you, but rather for you? And he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that I was a pastor and I was telling him that you need more than the Bible to interpret the Bible. Because to him, that was heresy. And I was, so I proceeded to ask him a whole bunch of questions. I said, so what did this mean and this mean and this mean and this mean? He had no answers for it. I said, you know why you have no answers? Because you don't study history. There's things that was happening during the first century that if you have that narrative, it makes a whole lot of sense um, when you read the books that Paul, the epistles Paul was writing because he was dealing with these issues to the Corinths or to the Ephesians or to the Galatians or, you know, whoever to Philippi, whoever he was writing to. If you understand the historical context, it gives you a, a view into the issues that Paul was dealing with. So with that said, in Ephesus, this is the, the, the book of Ephesians. So Paul is writing to Ephesus here. And what was happening in the church of Ephesus, Ephesus was made up of a whole lot of mixture of people. It had poor, it had rich, it had people that was very successful, people that was not so successful. It had free people, it had slaves, it had all kinds of different people operating within the church at that time. It was a mixture of, 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 of people because Ephesus was a trading market. It's where people would go and they would trade and they would sell and they would buy it was a big deal, Ephesus was at the time. It was kind of like New York for the Middle East. All right? And so what happened is, during this time, Paul had established the church at Ephesus. He was hearing about, he was in jail hearing about what was going on at this church that he established. And there was all kinds of fighting and going back and forth and, and, and political discussions. And because there was, there was ex-Pharisee leaders that was a part of the church of Ephesus. There was, there was women that was in leadership in the book of Ephesus, which in the Middle East, that was, that was a big topic they had to tackle. Thank God Paul addressed it. He told us that there's no gender in the spirit. There's no male nor female. Come on, somebody. My God, the first person to preach the gospel was a woman. Jesus. It was Mary. Come on now. So it, it, it's, it's really important to understand Paul dealt with these issues in the church of Ephesus. And so in this particular letter, when he says love that surpasses all knowledge, what he's saying to them is that there is a love that once you experience it, it goes beyond the knowledge base that you have for one another. In other words, you may have a concept about people. You may know them by the flesh. You may know what they struggle with. You may know what their weakness is. You may have history with people that's not so good. God God is saying through Paul that love goes beyond the knowledge. That's what he's saying. He's trying to tell Ephesus that, no, no, no. When you experience love, it's greater than your fleshly knowledge of people. Can you love me beyond what you know about me in the flesh? Can you know me not after the flesh, but after the spirit? This is why Paul urged us in the New Testament to not know any man in Corinthians by the flesh, but by the spirit. See, that's really difficult for some of us because we're plagued with the toxic history that we know about one another. And therefore, it creates a prejudice in our thinking towards one another. And God is saying, remove yourself from that. See people the way I see them. The people that are hurting us, we are not the target. They're hurting us because they was hurt. 
And that's really hard for people to get that because we feel like we're the object of the suffering. And that's not the case. God's trying to get you to see deeper. He's trying to get you to see deeper. I want to recommend a book right now. How many readers we got in the place? All right. I want you to go on Kindle and get this book. It's by Danny Silk. He just wrote a book called Unpunishable. This, this book is phenomenal. Unpunishable. I'm about five chapters. You can get the audio for those of you who don't like to read. You can just listen to it in the car. Um, but uh, get it. It's, it's worth the read. It's called Unpunishable by Danny Silk. All right. So let's, let's get into this. Can you say amen? I want to go back here for a second, 1 John 4. We're going to just go right back to where we left off last week. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Pastor Tim, we're going to read all the message Bible, sir. Just read. We got a lot of reading tonight, but um, it'll go by fast, I promise. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21 in the message translation. We got it. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. Read that again, Pastor Tim, that last part right there. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. Did y'all catch that? The person who, what, what happens when that's not your neighbor? What happens when that's you? Turn to yourself. Right. Say ouch. What happens when it's you and I that refuses to love? Every thought that follows after you refuse to love is leading you away from your purpose. Every thought that follows after you have made a commitment to not love the right way is going to lead you astray. And that's really important to get that. Some of you are in relationships. It was never the purpose. Some of you are in uh, situations. It was never part of your purpose. That's why it feels the way it feels. You can be a part of something that God has ordained, and it could still be... um, it can still be a lot of weight and pressure, but there's peace in it. There's peace that passes understanding. You can't always judge the will of God based off if it's got pressure or if it doesn't. Many times the will of God actually does have pressure. Many times, that's, that's one of the things about the, the early church that why they advanced so much is because they was persecuted. When they gave their heart to the Lord, it wasn't because it was the social thing to do, y'all. They understood that if they gave their heart to the Lord, there was going to be persecution that followed. People today don't want to go through nothing. We want Jesus to, you know, keep us in perfect peace. But peace has nothing to do with your circumstances. It's nothing to do with your circumstances. So let's, let's pick up. Let's continue to read this. Watch this. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed us his love for This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, 
If God loved us so, like so, this. So let me ask you a question. So I had a conversation with a, a young, you know, you guys know I like to talk. So at the gym a lot of times, um, I get into conversations with a lot of these young guys that, that we like to talk about different things. And a lot of times, um, once they realize I'm cool or I'm down to earth and they'll open up, at first they're a little hesitant um, because they don't know me. But then um, God's given me the gift to break through barriers. So we'll get to talking about him. And, and I encountered this guy at the, his name is Chico. That's not his real name, but that's what we call him at the gym, Chico. Matter of fact, I don't think I ever want to call him that again. We've got to find out his real name. He's too old to be called Chico at this point. But Chico, good guy, but he's been through a lot. He's in his late 40s, um, lost a lot, been through a divorce. Kids don't live with him. I've, I've get to, got to know him over the year that I've known him, and I've listened to his dialogue. Chico's a good guy down deep, but he's been a part of a system that has been against him, and he has a lot of pain as a result of that. And so he come up to me one day, and he asked me about white and systematic racism. This is the kind of conversations I get into, and I love it. He says, do you believe in systematic racism? I said, yes. He said, what? He was taken back. I said, yeah, I do. I do believe in systematic racism. I believe that there's benefits of being white in this world because of the history of this nation. I do believe there's benefits of it. But I also am the guy to stand on the front line with you and fight for equality. I'll never fight for superiority, which some mistake for equality, but I will fight for equality. And he says, so he says, so let me ask you a couple questions. And as we began to dialogue, there was this pain that started to surface in his heart. You could see it. It was coming up. His voice got more aggressive. He got more um, serious. He started to almost get angry for a second. And I asked him a question right before we shut it down. And I said, "Let let me ask you this question, Chico. I said, if you had all the power in your hand to reverse the entire way of life as it relates to this nation, what would you do? And he thought about it for a second. And he said to me, he said, well, I'm not really sure what I would do. I said, why? He said, because I don't, I just never thought about it like that. He said, I'm so, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make sure I'm good. I said, yeah, but if you had the power to snap your finger and make a change, that would ultimately completely flip the way this nation does things from a social level what would you do? And so he didn't say nothing for about 10 minutes. So I'm working on him. She comes back over. He said, man, what are you really asking me? Because it's driving me nuts. And I said, well, I said, here's the problem that most people that I hear with your argument. Sometimes what happens is people embrace this system of What's the word I'm looking for? Here's a better way to say it. The pain that's been caused by the injustices that have happened in this nation, if we're not careful, will cause us or create us to be molded in the same image of the ones who hurt us. This is why Martin Luther King Jr. was such a reformer, because he was quoting Jesus when he says that that hate cannot cast out hate. 
that love cast out hate. So what happens is, come here, Marissa, just for a second. Let me use you. So what happens is, and this all has to do with love, and this is what Jesus knew, and this is why it's so imperative to follow Christ, because he, God, in the flesh, knew what would fix humanity. So if I raise my kids to hate her because of the color of her skin, in return, if she is not God-conscious and understand her identity through the work of the cross, what's going to happen is she is going to raise her kids to hate my kids because of the color of their skin. What's going to happen is my kids are going to raise their kids to hate her kids because of the color of their skin. It is a never-ending cycle that will not quit until somebody is courageous enough to forgive and love. Now, to the weak-hearted person, love in this case feels weak. That's only because you've not truly surrendered to it yet. There's nothing more powerful than love coming from the heart of the Father. There's nothing that will change the heart of a man like love. God knew it, which is why the central message of Christ was love and forgiveness. He knew it. He knew it. He could have came as a Jew. By the way, in that time that Jesus was born, the Jewish people was already in captivity, had been for thousands of years. And now Rome is now their new captor. And what's happening now, they're looking for somebody to raise an army to fight back because they're tired of being the ones. Why do you think they call tax collectors sinners? Because Rome, the tax collectors, was taking everything they had. It was killing them socially. They had no presence or no, no strength socially. They was broke. This is why it was such a big deal when Matthew was a tax collector because he was a Jew that was on the side of Rome. And Rome was the one that came in and infiltrated, and now they're the ones that's got Egypt, or not, excuse me, the Hebrew people again in bondage again. And Jesus, God shows up, infinite wisdom, infinite influence, infinite anointing, infinite power, could have snapped his fingers and Rome would have been gone. And he shows up, and his message is, y'all want to follow me? The crowds are big. Looks like we got an army. Here comes his big speech to go to war. Forgive those that persecute you. <laughs> what? Think of Braveheart, man, when, when Mel Gibbs is riding on the horse, fighting for the freedom. Freedom! And he says, y'all ready? Yeah, we're ready. Tell him you love him. No wonder the world did not want to receive him. Because there was hate and pain in their hearts. And the only thing that a hurt heart wants typically is vengeance. And when they get it, they realize it doesn't satisfy. It ultimately leads them right back to love. I'm trying to tell you what Christ tells you. There's only one way, and it's the way he gave us. It's love. It is the most powerful weapon. It is the only thing scripture says never fails. It may take time, but it never fails. People didn't get this way overnight. It's going to take time to fix this stuff. See, the problem is in the body of Christ, we have not laid our lives down for the sake of the cross. 
And we're trying to use love while we're still trying. We're trying to benefit from love. (laughs) We want our wills to be satisfied from love. But when we lay our lives down, it doesn't matter what happens to me no more. It's bigger than me. See, we're dealing with a selfish church today in America. This church don't look like Christ. We doing stuff that Christ would never do. And we're wondering why there's no power, no transformation, no changed hearts. Why people can come and worship and leave the same way they came. It's because we've not embraced the power of the cross that changes us. It is at the foot of the cross that the Christian comes to know God in a deep way. It is when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and love our brothers beyond our own self-interest. It's there where change happens in the heart of a person. That's where it all has. That's why I love the old songs. At the cross. At the cross. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul was rolled away. It was there by grace I received my sight. Come on now. Somebody had a revelation of grace even then. It was there by grace I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. Somebody knew something about what it takes to change and wrote a song about it. Good place to shout amen. Everybody just say, love never fails. Don't be deceived by people who seem to have another way. There's false messiahs with different messages, different gospels, and they'll, think, they'll, they'll trick you into thinking their way is what's going to fix everything. Trust me, there's been men like them before. It didn't work then. It ain't going to work now. There's only one way to do it, man. You can always tell. You can always tell. You don't have to even listen to somebody's argument to see the, the, the falsehood in it. Listen to their nature. Listen to their nature. Hear the pain. Hear the hurt. Hear the anger. And you'll see Christ ain't in that. It's good teaching, Pastor. Thank you, sir. Let's hear. So let's let's I want to go to this part right here. This is big. Let's continue to read where pick up. I just want to pick this up. We certainly are to love each other. Mm. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us. And his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the father sent his son as savior of the world. Let me ask you this question before we get to the last part of this passage that I want to break down. When is the last time God loves somebody through you? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced what it's like to be completely drained of your own strength and you're only functioning on his? You know what's God loving people through you when you have every right to not love them, but you lay them down. Only God could do that. It takes God to love an enemy. It takes God to love an enemy. There is nothing weak about love. It's reserved for the strongest amongst us. Let's watch this last part. Hmm. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul. 
This love that comes from God, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Right there. Watch this last part. Well-formed love vanishes fear. All right. Every, the, we know the, the, the other translation, NSA Bible, say that perfect love does what? Cast out all fear. Okay, last week I talked about many of us are trying to pray fear away, fast fear away, discipline fear away. It doesn't happen that way. Fear is rebuked by love. It's cast out. When you embrace love, fear takes us at leave. Are you catching that? I want to make sure that part's landing here. Put this down if you're taking notes. First of all, the love here that we're talking about in the Greek here is the word agape. This is the most. Now, we've, we've said that love means unconditional. I feel like I'm teaching tonight. So we, say, we know that the word love, the Greek word there, is also unconditional. But one thing that a lot of teachers and preachers don't emphasize about the word agape, probably most definitely the primary definition of agape is actually not unconditional. It actually means selflessness. It's a selfless love, which makes sense in contrast to why the author here is actually bringing up fear. Because he says, perfect love casts out all fear. Here's the actual primary definition. The Greek term for fear there is uh, <clears throat> phobos, was where we get the word phobia. Okay? So phobos there, and it literally means to flee from. So fear in itself isn't just, don't associate it with being scared of something. Fear, a stronger definition for the word fear, phobio, actually means to flee from. It means that you will be so full of fear that you will not have the courage to confront things necessary. That you will flee from the responsibilities. You will flee from the relationships. You will flee from the necessary fellowships. You will flee from the necessary conversations. All of the things that are meant to bring you into a mature place, you're going to run from it. You have no endurance. You have no ability to withstand weights, to withstand trials. All the things that the Bible says test us to bring about maturity. Patience, let her have her perfect work. Patience is working on you. She's working on you. She is the doctor. You are at the hospital and she is the doctor. She is working on you. Let her have her perfect work. Patience. All of the attributes of God, these things are only going to be a part of our life if we do not flee from the necessary seasons that are meant to bring them apart, bring them about. You do not accidentally mature. You have to stand in the season that God has put you in and open up your heart to surrender to the will of God. I'm telling you, this, this passage where he says that because fear has to do with judgment. One of the reasons we don't surrender to love is because we feel that what happens if I surrender to love is that I'm going to be judged or that my life is going to drastically change or I'm not going to be able to control this or I can't foresee what's going to happen if I do this. When you yield to love, it makes you very vulnerable. Nobody wants to be vulnerable, but the will of God is on the other side of your vulnerability. 
The steps that no man can order but God is on the other side of your letting go of your control. This is why we don't want to embrace love. Because the first thing it demands is letting go of your rights. So you'll never know what I'm talking about tonight if you're still holding on to your rights. The rights is the first thing that has to go, which is why Jesus always said, listen, anybody that follows me has to deny himself. Then take up his cross and follow me. That cross, man, that thing will kill you every day. It'll kill you every day. In, in, in Matthew 6, I don't have time to get into this, but watch this. I love Matthew 6 where he says, don't store up treasures where moth can corrupt. He says, store them up where? In heaven. Where it can't be. But here's the context of it. We don't understand what the word treasure is there. If you look at the entire passage in Matthew 6, read it when you get home. The entire passage is he's saying, don't be like the Pharisees that pray in the open. They want to be seen praying. Don't be like them. They have a righteousness that people, they want to show off their righteousness. They got the right walk, the right talk. You ever met a a pastor that he talks real slow? Got a lot of rasp because it just sounds more godly. I just wonder, do you order Taco Bell with that voice? I'll take, uh, yes, daughter. I'll take a number seven. And <laughs> some whipped cream or whatever, you know. It's like, dude, just be you, man. God, God can use you. You don't have to be somebody else. God can use you. We already got Bishop Jakes. We don't need another one. God can use you. You, you're free to be you. There's something so unique about you. Why would you sacrifice it to be a counterfeit of somebody else? You're sacrificing what's authentic to be a terrible version of somebody else. He said, don't be like them. They pray in the open. They want to be seen. He goes on to even talk about fasting. He goes on to say, when you're fasting, don't tell people you're fasting. That's all we like to do. I can't eat today. I'm fasting. <laughs> Today's my spiritual day. I'm fasting, you know. We like, to, we like to brag about our commitments. And Jesus says, and then when he gets done with all this stuff, Tim, he says, don't store up treasure where moth can corrupt. What he's saying is, where, where are you storing the treasure up? In your ego. That's the context. You're living off accolades that you don't even need. They're doing nothing more than strengthening your insecurities about yourself. He's saying, and that's, that can be corrupted. Don't store it up there. Don't put them treasures there. Put them in heaven. In other words, how do you store things in heaven? Everything you do, do it without needing to be seen by man. Amen? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. So we're going to do a little bit of reading here. Just give me a little bit more. You guys are going to be a couple weeks without me. I'm going to kind of share some thoughts here in a second. So, so I'm, I'm giving you what I can give you here so you can eat off this for a few weeks. 1 Corinthians 12, and then we're going to read all the way down through probably the first part of 1 Corinthians 14. So let's read, and I'm a, I'll cut you off. Amen. Amen. I know you will. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, Isn't and to another... Isn't that something that God seen it fit to not give you all the giftings? Why did he do that? Because, again, it's not good that man be alone. He's trying to get you to connect with one another. That's where the growth comes from. That's the fellowship that comes from. He's purposely not investing in you everything you need. So quit walking around talking about, I'm all I need. No, you're not. You're not all you need. That's your problem. You're an island to yourself. That's where your depression's coming from, Doc. You're all by yourself. And listen, God ain't all you need. If it was, he would have not said it's not good that man be alone. Adam had God. You need each other. It's the way we are designed. We need each other. He's given one person a word of wisdom and another a person of knowledge. So if Pastor Tim prophesies to Pastor Shawnee, it may be a word of knowledge that he has concerning her life, but he may not have the wisdom yet when to release it. So he needs me. Pastor Gary, I feel about this about your wife. Something God's telling me. What do you feel? Well, now the word of wisdom comes in. Well, <laughs> wait till Thursday. Because I know what's going on right now on her Wednesday. Let's chill for a second. Let her get to a place of rest. I know her posture in which she receives. That's a hard word. See, I have insight that he don't have. So it's wise for the word of knowledge to depend on the word of wisdom. Yeah, that's good. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So, so watch this. Let's continue to read. Watch what Paul says. And to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of There's a difference of between healings and miracles. Paul makes a distinction there. There's a difference between miracles and healings. One person has the gift of healing. Some things you have to work. You may be called to the gift of healings. You know what that means? That means that you need the knowledge on how to diagnose somebody's condition. Something, a miracle is when God comes in and kind of just steps in and takes control and does it himself. A gift of healing can be very different because maybe God will say, listen, quit eating cheeseburgers. Your cholesterol is going to go down. I need you to discipline yourself here. I need you to listen to the doctor here. I've put part of my wisdom inside of their educational system. I need you to listen here because if you do this, it's going to be beneficiary for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are certain people who can give, diagnose you and tell you certain things that are going to help you. If you got, say you struggle with acid reflux, don't do this, 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 this. You can't keep eating hot stuff all the time. You're going to get this acid stuff popping up in your stomach. It's, you're not designed to eat all that that much. Trust me, I know that one by experience. Got to put yourself on a different diet plan, start consuming different stuff, and that's a gift of healing. Sometimes, no matter what your disciplines are, you need a miracle. Sometimes you just need a miracle. You've done everything right. Now it's up to God. It's up to God. It's up to God. Many miracles don't happen until we've actually consulted in the gift of healing. Until you invest in the gifts of healing, you may not even see a miracle. It ain't fair for you to ask God to bail you out of something you've not tried to do it yourself yet. 
You ain't invested in anything that's going to help you get out of your situation, but you want a gift of miracles. See, God loves to be a miracle to people who have exhausted every other resource. He gets the glory with that stuff. Amen, somebody. Oh, man, come on now. <laughs> the, I don't even got time. It's going to detour me. Let's continue. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they be many, are one body, so also is Christ. Mm. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. See, I love the fact that he dispersed gifts the way he's doing it. it keep, God will do these type of things to keep us from pride. To keep you from feeling like you're the one all cure all to everybody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He does this because he needs you to need other people. That's really important. He's doing that for a reason. Just touch your neighbor and say, I need you more than you know. Come on, touch somebody else and say, I really need you more than you know. You need, you need me. I need you. I feel like Kirk Franklin. Come on now. What's this song? Is that him? Who is, who, somebody wrote that song. No, it ain't Hezekiah Walker. That's Kirk. Oh, Lord Jesus, it is. It is. All right. It's a good song, though. So watch, watch this. So he's dealing with the Corinthian church. Is this okay tonight? You know, I'm trying to shorten our services, but tonight I need to get this to you. All right. I know some people get bored with the word. It's life to me. So, so 1 Corinthians 12, he's dealing with what? He's dealing with the giftings. He's dealing with the body. Corinthian church is very gifted. Now watch, but watch what he puts in. Just go to chapter 14. Let's read there. Watch this. 1 Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. When's the last time you prayed in the spirit? Amen. Think about it. When's the last time you really prayed in the spirit? I was, I was at the doctor today. I got <clears throat> some stuff going on in my throat. I thought I had strep throat or something like that. I went to the doctor this morning. The doctor uh, was a little Romanian nurse that was there. And she, I heard, I, while I was in there waiting, she was going, uh, she was singing, humming this melody. And it was one of the worship songs, which I can't remember the worship song it is, but she was humming the melody. And I said, is that a, and I started, and the words came to me. It was a miracle in itself. But the words came to me. I said, is that that? She said, yes. How would you know that? I said, you listen to 103.5? She said, yeah. <laughs> She's like really excited. I'm like, it, it, and I, I said, yeah. She said, well, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. I'm, she said, 
wow, what church you go to? I said, Vertical Encounter. She said, uh, man, I go to this Romanian church out in, in, in uh, Romulus, and, you know, we, we're a Pentecostal Romanian church and stuff like that. And she said, I said, wow, that's great. I said, yeah, my wife and I passed her, and we talked. And she said, whoa. She was, like, so excited, you know. <laughs> I'm like, can you just take my blood pressure? <laughs> but uh, make sure I'm good. <laughs> Gift of healings. And she says to me, she says, yeah, well, I just met this guy in here the other day, man, and he was a Christian too, but he freaked me out a little bit. I said, what? She said, well, he just said, so are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And he starts speaking in tongues. And she said, well, I, I, that's for my prayer life. I've never just, he just turned it on right there. <laughs> I wanted to say, is his name? Like, I know a few people that would do that. <laughs> I know a few people will hit you with speaking in tongues quick, you know. And uh, she said, yeah. and so I had to explain to her, I said, it's a gift. She said, yeah, but it just always comes in my prayer. I said, okay, have you ever tried it here? And she said, no. And I said, well, you should try it. And she was like, just, what? She was like so sincere. I loved it. I was trying to get her to hit a shundai right there, but she wouldn't do it. <laughs> but I had an organ out of Gabriel right there. So. Um, but as it relates to, to that heavenly prayer language, Paul's saying that it does what? It edifies your spirit, man. It builds you up in the most holy faith. See, this is my concern with the American church today, is that we are coming away from the very things that actually build up the spirit man on the inside. We want to be so casual and just have church in, in this, this comfortable type of setting. And, and what's happened is we're not seeing people's lives transformed. Churches aren't growing. I'm sorry, man. Churches are not growing. Someone said to me today, well, man, you, you know, you in Detroit, man. Triumph got 30,000 members. I said, yeah, but churches aren't growing. He said, how can you say that? I said, all them members was members somewhere else. They're just transferring churches. We're not growing. The city's not being impacted. We're just singing songs that we like and, 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 and having social meetings. It's, it's not really church as the New Testament calls church. When's the last time you was in a service where the presence was so heavy nobody could really even get up? When's the last time you seen people that was broken and wounded and had no hope fall, come to an altar and cry and give their heart over to the Lord and, 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 and depend on his lordship over their life? When's the last time you've seen broken marriages actually come to a place to where they're both surrendered, both parties, and they want to follow the will of God and let God begin to heal the issues within the marriage? This is what the body of Christ is lacking today, is we don't have any power, no transformation. It's because we're not embracing the true gospel no more. We want comfort. I don't know what's getting ready to happen in the next five years in this nation. But I do know that there is a revival coming to the body of Christ. And I do know that there's a line being drawn in the sand. And those who are serious about this thing, they're going to see some major, major breakthroughs. And I know that God is getting ready to take this nation to a different place. And it's going to challenge us at our core. And it's going to start with a love revolution. I promise you that. So watch this. So in between our 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, he's dealing with spiritual gifts. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about edifying, miracles, healing, all this stuff, right? But then in the middle of it, watch what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. 
It's almost like Paul did not want to deal with just the giftings without actually making this a strong point in the middle. Look it. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account. It does not suffering. seek its own. It does not take into an account a wrong suffered. Jeez. Love don't do that. That's all we have to talk about most of the time. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. When you and I are really rooted and grounded in love, we stopped viewing ourselves as the victim. When we are truly encountering love, we stop seeing ourselves as the victim of other people's pain. I know that's hard to swallow. I've hurt people in my life, so that that's, you know... Sometimes people view that type of sentence as a way to justify the person who was offending people or hurting people. But it's not. Trust me, it's a double-edged sword. It cuts both of us. Let's pick up on that last part. Give me just five more minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. You know, when you're a child, when my father left me at a very young age, he left my family in a very broken state. Uh, We had just moved back from Kentucky, and we moved back to Battle Creek. And for the first time in my life, I was fatherless. My mom had not remarried yet. She was, um, I had a, I have a wonderful stepdad. Y'all met him at my birthday party. He's a good man. And he stepped up. It really takes, he's really a a father because it, it really takes a supernatural love to marry a woman with six kids. It does. And he provided for us. That, that's supernatural, y'all. And during the time when dad left, I felt empty. I felt broken. I was young, though. I was like six, seven years old. And at this stage, I didn't know why he left. I didn't know why mom didn't want to stay married no more. He was a raging alcoholic who abused her, who, who was um, unfaithful, who, who was a, a drug addict at the time when my older brother died. Dad was kind of controlling the symptoms that he had, but when my older brother died, uh, mom said he lost his mind. Uh, that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
And um, long story short, we had moved back to Battle Creek. My dad was still in Kentucky at the time. And I will never forget feeling abandoned um, several times. And when he moved back, I remember he, mom was kind enough to let us see him on the weekends. And we would sit there Friday night and we'd sit on the porch. I have vivid memories of sitting on the porch waiting for dad. My friends would come and ask me to play and go play basketball or do whatever. And I would tell them, no, my dad's coming. I have vivid memories of me sitting on the front porch waiting for my dad to come and to pick me up and take me to the lake or take me to do something and I, I just I, I just wanted to be with my father. As a kid, I didn't care what the reasons was as why dad left. My mom cared. My mom was concerned. She was more mature than me. She understood that it was toxic, and she had to make a decision. But I didn't understand that. I was young. All I cared about was my dad. I wanted to make sure my dad was. And what you do when you're a kid is you internalize and you blame yourself. And you don't realize you're blaming yourself. But in your heart of hearts, in the deepest part of your soul, you're asking yourself the question, even though you are too young to really ask yourself uh, this question with words. In your heart, we internalize and we're asking ourselves, what about me wasn't good enough to make dad stay? What is it about me that would make him abandon us? And you begin to take the blame for something that is not your fault at all. You know, Paul said here, he said, when I was a kid, I reasoned like a kid. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What was the difference between the kid that Paul was talking about and the man that Paul was talking about? It's the way he understood love. That's the context here, is love. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? I, in my life, have constantly battled. Now, I'm going to be real here. I'm going to give you some stuff that a lot of pastors won't do. In my life, I have constantly battled with seeing my self-worth. No matter how talented I am, I've preached in front of thousands. I know very famous people. I've been in rooms with people that are world influencers. When they make a decision, it changes the trajectory of a nation. I've, I've been in the room with these type of people. I have these type of relationships. And none of it has ever done anything to make me feel valuable. None of it. I thought it would be a fix if I could just get to this level of success. But it, it never pans out to be that. I'm still left with the broken seven-year-old that's blaming myself for the absence of a father at the end of the day. The journey to love that I'm talking about tonight is a journey that you and I have to commit to. And if we'll commit to it, see, I could preach something to get you excited tonight, but I want to see you excited when the revelation of love impacts your life once it's married to your surrender. That's when we're really growing together.